Hello, this is Gary Van Warmerdam, and this is the Awareness and Consciousness Podcast from PathwayToHappiness.com. First, I want to follow up on the whole taking it personally or learning how to not take things personally in the last podcast. I was visiting my parents. My mom had knee replacement surgery and working to help her get around and things like that. Watching the physical therapist work with her, great guy, Jim, super guy, really enjoyed him. Don't know much about knee replacement surgery, but he described the process, and you have about six months to really get your range of motion back into that knee. Most critical part is probably the first two months. You want to cycle that knee and get it as much range of motion as possible. Because after six months, scar tissue is built up, and you won't get any more range of motion no matter how hard you work. And so in his first session, he's working with my mom and giving her the exercises to develop that range of motion in a way that minimizes the amount of scar tissue that develops so that there can be a long-term benefit called walking getting around without pain and discomfort, without a stiff leg. So once her range of motion got up to about 100 degrees, he started giving her different exercises. And I imagine as things progress, he will kind of add to the repertoire and dump some of the old ones and move on to other ones that are more suited to where she is in her progress. Then she visited the orthopedist and she's going to outpatient therapy. And he wrote specifically, no weights. He says, we don't care about building any strength yet. He says, it's all about the range of motion. He says, after six months, we've got all the time we want to strengthen that leg. But the range of motion, we've got a little bit of time. So what does rehabilitating a knee have to do with not taking things personally? See, the process is similar. In the Not Taking Things Personally podcast, I talked about just changing a couple interpretations in your mind. And then you will develop immunity from taking things personally, from other people's comments or from your own comments. But just saying, go do these three things, change these three interpretations in your mind, that's like saying, go do these exercises. And you won't take things personally. Was there any actual healing? Was there any actual rehabilitation in that? No. A physical therapist writing out a chart of exercises and telling my mom, okay, you're going to do this, and then you're going to do that, and then you're going to do this, and creating a really simple, brilliant plan doesn't heal her knee and doesn't help her to walk. However, having her do that first exercise when it's appropriate to do that first exercise. And then that exercise leads to the next one, when that knee's ready. And when that range of motion is built up, then they start working on walking and more range of motion exercises that are then appropriate. And then later they work on strengthening. But if you start to do strengthening too soon, you end up damaging the long-term rehabilitation process. This is where the Buddhists talk about the 
near enemies in spiritual growth. See, that tool or technique that is helpful can also be hurtful. Those exercises for strengthening are incredibly helpful and necessary. However, given at the wrong time or for a person who's in the wrong place in the process, they become hurtful and limiting, debilitating instead of rehabilitating. Understand that in this process to change attitudes, which leads to changing behavior, which begins with changing beliefs and these little subtle emotional reactions we have inside ourselves. You can read a self-help book or you can read some wonderful thing on a website and it can be a great tool, but that's not the tool for everyone at every time in their process. The other thing to realize is because you have a tool, because you know how you're taking things personally or when you're doing it or you now know what interpretations to make to not take things personally. That's like knowing what exercises to do to rehabilitate your knee. But that is not the same thing as doing the exercises. That is not the same thing as pulling a strap and cycling your knee back and forth. Knowing that you should be cycling your knee is very different than cycling your knee. So in that process to rehabilitate the mind, one of those aspects is to stop having emotional reactions. You can have all the knowledge you want, but it's the exercises that will make the difference. It's the actual practice. Exercising the muscles in your mind. That is what can rehabilitate you out of all those emotional wounds. Knowledge is just a map. Good knowledge is a good map. Taking steps. That's what will make the difference. So this is a recording on how to tell if relationships work. To look for the telltale signs of, is it going well or is it not going well? Is it the kind of relationship you want to pursue? Or is it the kind of relationship that has caution flags or red flags that say, whoa, wait a minute, take a look a little closer? Or a red flag that says, nope, we're out of here. One of the things I got to do while I was visiting my parents is I picked up a book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. An excellent read. I highly recommend it. It may change the way you look at decision making. It's a great deal about awareness, perception, observation, in both an instinctual way and in a very practical way. One of the topics he covers is about a gentleman named John Gottman who studies people and how they interact in relationships and can predict within just a few minutes of observation, better than 90, 95% accuracy, if that relationship will work out over a long term. What's interesting is he's monitoring all sorts of different facial gestures, emotions, eye rolls, the subtlest of signs. And those little things, the way someone makes a facial gesture or rolls their eyes can tell you about their attitude, which tells you about their emotion, which tells you about their beliefs and their values, tells you the way they treat people. And when you look at those details and you have the awareness to read them, and read them with fairness, not with your own attitude and your own belief system, 
Because, oh, by the way, you have to clean that up before you can see other people clearly. Then you can have an insight into relationships at a level of what really makes the difference. And what makes them nurturing and fun and builds connection. I'm going to talk about relationships here, and I'm going to talk about it in terms of the bigger things of what works and what doesn't work. But the real art is to develop your awareness to the point where you can see in other people just by in the way they act and the way they communicate, the kind of structures of beliefs they have, the way they treat you. And if you can do that, then you can really see what to look for in a partner and what to avoid. And just a heads up here, it's more than just having good communication. Because there's some elements of the way people are in their personality that allow for that. And there's some elements in our personality or other people's personality that can prevent that. You could say good communication is just a result of other factors called trust. But trust is just a result of other factors called acceptance and respect, which you can find in someone who's not judgmental. And so if you have someone who's not judgmental, it allows for that communication. But what's fascinating is, how do you recognize that? And how do you become that? Because if you are judgmental, then you're toxic to your relationships. And it's one thing to see all this and be aware of it. It's another thing to go change it. So this awareness is like a written list of exercises. But the real practice, the real exercises of how to go change oneself and one's behavior and dynamics and communication and emotion and attitude in relationship, how one changes that to rehabilitate their mind, to rehabilitate their emotions, and rehabilitate their relationships? That you'll find in the exercises in my self-mastery course. But for now, here's a few insights on what helps to make relationships work and some flags to look out for. And if you haven't listened to the first two Love Relationship podcasts, might be a little more helpful to do so because some of this material will reference what I talked about there but it's not absolutely required. I previously broke it out into three broad areas. The first one being the physical intimacy. The second, the emotional. And the third, kind of the structure of agreements. And about what makes a relationship work in the physical intimacy, the chemistry. Are you an affectionate person? Sexual person? Is there fire? Is there passion? If that's something you really want, and a person you're attracted to doesn't, that doesn't work. You know, whatever stories or resistance they have to being affectionate, or if, whether it's holding hands or cuddling and hugging, kissing, making love, whatever that match is. If it's not satisfying to you or it's not satisfying to your partner, you know, it can bring about a question. And I'm not going deep into that other than it's important. 
in a love relationship, a physically intimate relationship. And if you don't have that aspect, be friends. Be great friends and find someone else that will be your intimate partner in that full-spectrum relationship. The second part, the emotional compatibility. And that one somewhat bleeds over into the structure of agreements. The emotional compatibility has to do with what's the emotional quality of your life and what's the emotional quality of the person you're with. If you are a generally upbeat and happy person and they're depressed, it's not going to be as fun for you. That's not going to be a great partner match. You may love them, but it's going to be a challenging situation. doesn't mean it won't work, but understand it's a challenge. If you are a person that's prone to anger and jealousy, and when you do that, your partner becomes weak and timid and shies away, they become alienated to your emotions. If, on the other hand, one person is angry and jealous and the other person is equally reactive and angry and jealous, and when the two of you get going, gosh, it's a whole emotional drama, and then you blow it all off and you say, okay, we're over that, and you make up. And if that works for you, or that works for somebody else, then that works for them. And it's compatibility, emotionally. It could be emotionally dramatic, life-in-hell nightmare roller coaster. But emotionally, two people can be compatible in their drama. Doesn't mean it's fun, doesn't mean it's happy, but it's compatible. I've met people when I talked to them about their anger, and they defended it. They didn't want to let it go. They saw it as their ally. Maybe it gave them a sense of protection from being hurt, controlling other people. And they had no desire to let it go. They even defended it and say, oh, I want to feel all of my emotions. You know, well, that's great for them. But for me, I didn't want to feel their anger. I didn't want to be a part of that in relationship. So in that case, anger is not compatible for me in how I want to live my emotional quality in my relationships. So someone who gets angry, someone who gets angry at me, that's a deal breaker. Because the emotional quality of the relationship is very important to me. It's also another sign of something else we'll get into later. For me, a partner in relationship, an intimate love relationship, is about having fun, playing and enjoying life together. And if your partner is on a completely different emotional spectrum, then that's going to be challenging. If you are an unhappy person, whether it's depressed or angry or jealous, and the person you're with or the person you want to be with is a really happy, upbeat person, it's going to create a stress. Either you're going to react and say, I don't deserve to be with them, or they're going to look at you and say, you know, you're not a fun person to be with. I don't want to be with you. So where is that compatibility with the emotional quality, the way you express yourself, the way your partner expresses themselves to you or the people around you? Do the emotions that they 
live throughout the day. Match what you enjoy, what works for you, what you respect. Third area of compatibility, the structure of agreements. This is the one I want to focus on. Because if there's a physical, intimate chemistry with people, you kind of know it. The emotional quality, you can kind of know it, although you may not be aware of it, but you have a sense of it. The structure of the agreements is the difficult one to really scrutinize and understand. Structure of agreements has to do with what are your core beliefs and your values. It can start as something as big and as basic as, do you want children? And does your partner or prospective partner want children? Because if you want children and they don't, having children might be a big enough issue for you that you can have the sexual chemistry, you can have the physical chemistry, you can be in love with them, them in love with you, have great love and emotional quality in your relationship. But if you want children and they don't, that can be a deal breaker. You've got two legs of the triangle, the physical and the emotional part, but the structures of agreements don't work. You want different things. If you want to travel and live very free-like and they want to settle down and grow roots and be very stable in where they live, now there's a conflict in what you want. If you want to live in the city and they want to live in the country, there's a conflict in desires, then what you desire, what's important to you, has to match. And that has to do with the structure of agreements you make. These are the areas of what you want in your life, what's important to you, what's not important to you. And if what's important to you is not important to them, it's a conflict. And if what is important to them is not important to you or something you don't want, it's a caution flag for a conflict. And as much as you love them, as much as they love you, as much chemistry there might be, it can bring up issues. For instance, maybe you decide you both want children. Now you have children, but you have very different ideas about how to raise them. One parent believes in punishment or yelling or some kind of criticism about children and what the children are doing. And the other parent is much more accepting and believes that punishment is not the tool. Then now you're going to have a disagreement. Another area that is one of the biggest causes of conflict in relationships is money. How do you handle your money? How much do you save? How much do you spend? And you spend it on things that are for fun and you save for a rainy day. And what is your partner's spending and saving strategy? It's one of the biggest conflicts people have because they don't understand each other's values of money and spending and saving. The love and the physical intimacy can be great, but the conflict comes up because two people have different agreements about how to spend or save the money. In and of itself, these differences in agreements are not insolvable. 
if you have good tools of communication, if you listen to each other, you can work through these agreements. You can find different ways to parent children if people are open and flexible to change. You can live even with different agreements about how you're going to spend your money. If you're a big saver of money, then the other and the other person is a big spender, you agree to keep your money pile separate. And you don't have to worry about them spending your money. And you live with your money. They live with their money. And you don't have to concern yourself about what they're saving and not saving. Then this is a way to separate those areas of control so they don't become an issue of conflict. In some areas, this is not possible. Parenting is one. How are you and your partner going to treat your children when they don't eat their vegetables? How are you about giving them sweets? Two people need to be on the same page. It's much easier if you give the same message. Then for that, where you have to be in agreement, requires communication and requires flexibility. then one of the key areas of compatibility and relationship is not just how a person structures their agreements, but what agreements do they have about changing their belief structure of agreements. Are you flexible or is your partner flexible in changing and reevaluating how to raise children, what to do with money? Because if you're flexible and they're flexible, you can take this difference and you can work it out. One person is solid and the other one's flexible. It's no fun after a while. One person's always acquiescing. And that gets old. Then that's not compatible. There has to be a compatible flexibility in that negotiation. A mutual respect where you listen to either side and you understand their point of view and they understand your point of view and you try on their point of view and you look at it and you say, okay, that makes sense to me or that doesn't make sense to me. But you listen to the degree that you understand where they're coming from and they listen to the degree that they understand where you're coming from. And that flexibility part is, are you willing to look at your own agreements about where you're coming from and challenge them? Are they willing to look at their own agreements of what they're rigid about and challenge them? Because if they're not, you have an inflexible partner. And that makes living with them challenging creates conflict. And if you're not willing to be flexible and look at what you're doing and why, then you become a difficult partner. So in that area of flexibility and coming to agreements about your agreements requires communication. And about communication, there are two aspects. Beyond the willingness to look at your own agreements and what they are, the communication of that requires that you listen.
and that you're open and comfortable enough that you will share what you're learning about yourself and how you look at things and why. That means a self-awareness, what you believe and why. And if you have that self-awareness, you can communicate, you can articulate, you can open up. And that opening up often can be challenging. We call it being vulnerable. This is how I feel. I'm uncomfortable when. This I'm not comfortable with and this is why. I don't want to do it that way because I'm afraid in this case. And this is what I'm afraid of. Even if that fear is irrational and looks like, oh, this person might judge me. We have to be honest and say, this is my fear. Which brings the second part. It's one thing to say it. But it's only possible to really share that depth of ourselves and explore it and expose it to our partner if they listen. And it's only possible for them to open up and really share it if we listen. If there's going to be judgment from the partner you're sharing with, judgment, criticism, oh, that's silly, you shouldn't feel that, that's ridiculous, that judgment will cause us to close down on what we communicate. Then to listen without commenting, to hear, to understand, allows the other person to communicate, to open and explore what they believe and why. It opens that opportunity for self-discovery, self-awareness, and therefore that exploration then allows for flexibility, which allows for compatibility. And listen means very often not to comment, to listen, to nod, and accept that people just the way they are to love them just the way they are. That depth in the detail of communication, to listen without commenting, that depth in the quality of listening, changes the dynamic of relationship. When you can share all about yourself with someone, unedited, and they just listen and accept you just the way you are, that opens the door for trust. That trust means it's easy for you to be yourself with them. You don't have to put on a mask. You don't have to pretend. And your natural self is naturally going to have fun and enjoy life. Unedited without the pretense of trying to impress. Being completely open, completely honest. And if you can listen without judgment, without criticism, then they can be themselves with you. Because they trust that you don't criticize them. They trust that you love them just the way they are. They love you more. They appreciate being treated in that way. And if someone treats you in that way with total acceptance, total respect, you appreciate being treated in that way. As you eliminate your judgments 
and you open the door to listen with respect and acceptance, your appreciation and your gratitude grows. Your respect grows. This makes for a lot of flexibility in relationship. Then when looking at this aspect of communication and the quality of what is the listening and what is the honest sharing of what's going on with each person, it comes down to respect. It comes down to honoring this other person, accepting them just the way they are. That's respect. And we throw around that word respect a lot, and we use it loosely. We don't say, oh, I respect him, I respect her. But when it comes to something as important as our personal relationships, somebody we're going to spend a lot of time with, it helps if that respect is palpable. It's something that we feel a, a great appreciation for being able to spend time with this person. I would say that respect palpable to the degree that we'd call it admiration. So one of the most critical elements in evaluating will our relationship work? The question is, do you admire this person? And do they admire you? Is there a quality of respect there that you would say it's palpable? Do you admire the values and core beliefs that they have, the way they structure their agreements? Do you admire how flexible they are? Do you admire and appreciate how they listen and are accepting of you? Do they admire you and appreciate how you are? Because this quality of admiration, when it's palpable, it will inspire you to pay attention and listen to what your partner shares. You'll want to know what their thoughts are on an issue. You'll want to know how they look at things. You'll want to know what their thought process is because you admire them. And you appreciate it when they share. Because if you have that respect to the degree that it's palpable, it's admiration, there's trust, and you'll listen, and you'll be open to sharing and being honest, then you have incredible opportunity for very intimate, honest communication. And that level of respect that we'll call admiration is what will help make a relationship work. One of the aspects in evaluating this quality of communication and do you respect your partner and looking at their structure of agreements and is there compatibility is it takes time. It takes time to get to know someone. Naturally, when we meet somebody, we put on a good first impression. Actually, we had to learn to do that, so it's unnatural to put on a good first impression. We've been conditioned and habituated to put on a first impression. Now we've done it so many times, it's a habit that feels natural 
to be false. And of course, people are very natural being false with us with their best impression. In that dating get to know each other phase, they can hold up that first impression pretty well for a while. But over time, you get to see them, you get to know them. But don't just look at how they treat you and how they interact with you. Watch how that person treats other people. That may give you a better insight into what they're really like than just noticing how they treat you. A friend of mine, she was being courted by a man. And this man was very nice to her. Of course, people said to her, what are you doing with this man? He's not a nice man. And she could see where he wasn't nice to other people. But he was always nice to her. She dismissed all his other behaviors. Eventually they married. And after they married, the mask came off. This impression he was making to her, he wasn't holding up anymore. And he started to treat her the same way that he treats everybody. That goes back to what is the emotional quality and is it compatible? Because if she looked at the emotional quality with which he treated everybody else, she could say, you know, that doesn't really work for me and it's important. It's not just how someone treats you. It's about how they treat everybody that tells you about them. One of the places that you get to see past someone's first impression or the image they try to share with you is when they're challenged. Making a good impression is easy on a good day. But the real question is, what is this person like when they're stressed? When they're challenged financially? When their car breaks down? When something isn't going their way? What kind of reactions do they go to? How do they make their decisions then? Do they try to control the situation with anger? Because people's operating styles when things are going well can be very different than when things are challenging and they're stressed. It's in those moments that you get to see beyond that impression that they're trying to make. And you get to see their character and determine, is this somebody I respect? Is this somebody I admire for how they handle themselves in difficult situations? And in those moments, they get to find out about us. And if we haven't done our work on ourselves, if we don't have mastery over our mind, they may not like what they see. They may decide they want to be with somebody else. And that's okay. They have that choice but we have the choice to deal with ourselves and change ourselves too. Change our emotional reactions. So in this amazingly dynamic, multifaceted, evolving experience of relationship, look at those three legs of the triangle of who you're with and who you want to be with. This is the physical chemistry compatible? Is the emotional quality for yourself and the person you're with or 
want to be with? Does it match? And what's the structure of agreements? The core values, money, raising children, where you live, what you do. Does that match up? Compatibility. And if it doesn't, is there the flexibility on both people's parts to change in those areas or find a way to manage it with respect? Because if you have respect and you respect each other's flexibility and the way you structure your agreements and the way you go about communicating, that will facilitate and allow you to be honest and listen to them. And it'll facilitate them being honest and listening to you. And that will grow your appreciation. And that will grow your admiration. And when you admire someone, you don't judge them. You aren't critical of them. And when someone admires you, they respect you. They don't judge you. They aren't critical of you. And with that, you keep your communication, the emotional quality sacred. Because there's respect. A palpable respect. And if you're more serious about exploring your thoughts, beliefs, emotions, and those dynamics, and making changes in those areas, really getting down to the core beliefs which drive the whole thing, please check out my self-mastery course on my website, pathwaytohappiness.com. The first few sessions there are free. Try it and see if those exercises are, are practical and effective for you. And there's also my book, MindWorks, very practical exercises and a very in-depth explanation of how to address these very issues as well. Thank you very much. This is Gary Van Warmerdam from pathwaytohappiness.com.